Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Com Report wherever you get your podcasts, and you can catch us on YouTube at the Empire Media YouTube page. That's A M P I R E. Like, subscribe us on there. All that good stuff. As always, it's much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by longtime Washington D.C. sports talk show host Kevin Sheehan. Now with 980 The Fan in D.C., you can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. We talk about the fan base, what's left, how passionate is it, and how can this team win people back? Could they start doing it this year? We discuss the playmakers. I saw a recent article that by a former general manager that considered this group average. Are they? Kevin has a strong take on that, and I tend to agree with him. I always love talking to Kevin. And oh, oh, by the way, don't forget you can read my work on ESPN.com. Before I get started, one quick note on quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick retiring. We never really got to see him do much or for the media, even interact with him much at all. Pretty much in a short time here, every one-on-one request from us was was rejected. Um, I think we needed to get to know him a lot better. That's okay. But the point is, we didn't really get to get that full Fitzmagic experience. I do know teammates loved him. I know the coaches were excited about how he could help young players develop. While the focus on Taylor Heineke was a lot with his arm, he was an inexperienced starting quarterback. It's not about age. It's about game experience. And there were numerous growing pains that led to questionable decisions. That's one thing I heard throughout the year. And that's natural. Those were those are growing pains. But it's what the coaches hope to avoid by having Fitzpatrick. I don't know how last year would have turned out. I'm guessing they win one to two more games with him on the field. But it's not as if he was ripping it up in camp as he was learning a new offense. In fact, I know that, well, he was he was clearly having some issues in the spring and it caused some concern going to camp. Now, he did show some progress throughout camp, but it wasn't like, again, it wasn't like he was just this dominant force. But again, learning and still it's worth wondering. Their plan was to start Fitzpatrick when they hoped nine to ten games and then make an aggressive move for a quarterback. Or if one did present itself, and if Fitzpatrick had played well, they would have just run it back and waited another year. So his injury led to Washington having Carson Wentz. I was looking forward to covering Fitzpatrick. It ended up to be a disappointment because he was hurt in the opening half of the first game. But he had a remarkable career. With that, let's get to my conversation with Kevin Sheehan. Is this skills group average? Well, Kevin, this will be weird for me interviewing you. So, but I always enjoy our conversation. It's always my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So I always enjoy it. Good. I'm glad I'm on the other side. Yeah. There you go. So, (laughs) but I did, I did want to start with, um, because you and I have talked about this, about the passion for the fan, you know, the fan base for this, for the Washington commanders, et cetera. And I'm curious, like, you know, Chap Peterson kind of, I don't know if he caused a bit of a stir late last week by saying he doesn't see the support there. He doesn't see that because that's one of the reasons why he was voting against, who would have voted against the stadium bill. So I'm curious from your perspective, lifelong guy here, former diehard Redskins fan, where former. do you see where do you <laughs> see things at with this yeah. franchise and then the support for it? 
Uh, I mean, I think we just should deal with facts because I think social media really kind of, you know, speaks for a very small fraction of the fan base of, you know, everything's okay. That, that group anyway, because it's not okay. They were dead last in attendance. They've been, you know, heading in that direction for years. They're one of the worst local television markets for the NFL uh, in the league. I think seventh worst last year in the NFL. Um, and we know that, you know, the people that do go to the game and the people that do watch the games aren't even that hardcore anymore. Sometimes they're just NFL fans or fantasy fans or guys that have bets on the game. Um, look, I mean, it's been in the process for years now. You know, Snyder has chased away one of the most rabid fan bases in all of professional sports. It is, you know, 20 or 30 percent of what it once was at its height. The question is, you know, will it come back right. if things like winning happen or if he goes? I think the problem with that now, John, is that it feels very much with the new name and the new brand like an expansion team has landed in town, but without a new owner. And so I think even if this team were to take off and have some success, that it would be difficult to attract anywhere near what they used to have. Um, they'd have to have a long run of three, four, five years of Super Bowl contending, Super Bowl winning success, in my opinion, to sort of capture the kind of numbers they used to get. I think that's, I think that that now is a pipe dream to get back to where they once were, especially if you think that it won't happen with this owner. How much of that also kind of depends on, I mean, you have the Ravens up the street when, when this team was winning before that did not exist. Has that bitten in, you know what I mean? Say like, so even if they got back to that point, would that have eroded that level of support because you have more of a choice if you're in Maryland? I don't know that it's that much of a factor, John. I mean, we both know so many people that are done and it has nothing to do with the Ravens. It has to do with their passion has just been sucked out of them by the losing, by the embarrassment, by the owner, um, and now, really, I mean, by the new branding, by the new name, it doesn't feel like anything that they used to be attached to emotionally exists anymore. I don't think it has anything to do with Baltimore. I think certainly, you know, that area of Howard County in Maryland, you know, was always kind of a, a, a go either way, you know, which team is winning and the Ravens were and Washington wasn't. And they were, you know, people that lived in that area were close to Baltimore anyway. And there's always been the fan that wasn't super hardcore to begin with right. that may have jumped, you know, uh, on the Ravens. But I think people like me or even younger or older who were who considered themselves diehard didn't leave the team because there was a better option. So uh, if if let's say. First of all, do you think this team is in position to start to try and win back some of those fans as far as where they might be headed? Do you feel like, do you like the direction of where this team is going? Yeah, I mean, two separate questions. Will they win right. people back if they start to win? Again, I think that the, the name change may have been the final nail uh, in the coffin for a significant percentage of people that were hardcore fans. But 
I don't know that they care about those people anymore. Maybe they shouldn't. They should be trying to target a new fan base. I think it's one of the, the reasons that potentially like a Prince William County is, you know, in play because there are younger people that may not, you know, have the same kind of history that may be looking, you know, for a team um, to, uh, to, to jump on. But winning has to happen. You know, the, any branding person will tell you that when you change a brand, you better have a really good product to offer those people that were with you or even a new potential audience. So they've got to win. Will they? Never uh, a sustained winner as long as Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder are running the team. I don't believe that. I've got 22 years of, of evidence to support that. You know, with a lot of great coaches that have come through here that could not make it happen, that did that left with losing records. And so as long as they own the team, I don't think that there will ever be a sustained winner, whether they're the commanders or anything else. Um, but could they be better this year? I think they will be better this year. They should be better on offense. Right. You know, they're upgraded at quarterback, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the Wentz trade. They've got a lot of weapons offensively. I mean, you know, if you add up every playmaker they have, they're right there in their division with Philadelphia in terms of the best supporting cast offensively for their quarterback. They don't have the best quarterback in the division, but they may have the best supporting cast on offense. And defensively, they can't be as bad as they were last year. Um, they were horrible, and they faced a gauntlet of great quarterbacks last year. So there's a chance with, you know, at least on paper, you know, a schedule that's a little softer than it was last year, for now anyway, there's a chance that they could be a better team than they were last year. I'd be surprised if they weren't a team that, you know, has a chance to win eight games or more in 22. Listen, I think eight games, they've got to win. To me, they, in third year with Rivera, you've got to win 10. That, that to me would be like, if you want to set that bar, right? If, if you want to start to show people that you're making a move, I think going from seven to 10 is not an unreasonable ask. Do you think? No, I think that's, again, that's almost like a separate topic. Like this is right. a referendum year on Ron Rivera. It is. And they have created that referendum by building expectations that they're going to have a really good football team. You know, he's talked about the third year. He's talked about how important it is. It's time to take that next step. It's time to, to this is what he did in Carolina third year. And it started a five-year run of a lot of success, a lot of playoff games, a Super Bowl appearance. Um, you know, we've heard some of the excuses as to why the defense wasn't great last year. It has to do with phase two of OTAs. Okay. Um, but they've got some talent and there's some belief in that building that certainly they can be a lot better than they were last year. You and I both know that they take a lot of stock in that four game winning streak yeah. without, you know, with, with major limitations from an injury standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint. Um, I think they believe, I think Ron believes in Scott Turner a lot. Uh, and yeah, I think they've created kind of a bit of a referendum for the coach centric, you know, leader Rivera, they've got to get to the postseason this year, you know, whether that's nine wins or 10 wins, anything less than that will be, well, what happened? I mean, context can play into it. They could sure. lose, you know, all their quarterbacks like they have in recent years and have a bunch of injuries and Philadelphia could turn out to be great in Dallas the same, but yeah, I think um, there's there's some – I don't know if there's Snyder pressure on Rivera. But I don't he's, think so. He's you know, created some self, 
uh, you know, there's some self-created pressure when, by the way, John, when last year ended, you and I both said there aren't many, there, there's not much expected from this team next year. They've kind of created the expectations and they've kind of with their actions gone all in on 2022. And Ron has been very clear, like you said, that, you know, third year is when you make your jump. And if you're building it right, I had Joe Banner on the podcast earlier this year and just talking about basically team building. Right. And we looked at Jacksonville, what they've done in the first year of Peterson. He's like, he doesn't like that model because he said you get that instant jump, but then you're going to start to go down because you can't sustain based on what you're paying guys from the outside. Whereas this group has kind of gone the different way. So if you're, but the key is if you're drafting and developing, right, this is the year. And that's why I think it's a big year. But do you think that Ron has kind of talked himself yeah. into too much, or do you think it's a realistic jump to go from a seven to a 10 win season? I mean, it's the NFL, so it's totally realistic sure. for almost anybody to go from seven to 10. If you, if everything breaks, right. It's also the NFC. Um, look at the NFC. Have, yeah, I mean, and look at the NFC as well. Although, you know, Rogers stayed in the conference and Brady came back. And, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, look, in the division, Philadelphia is a lot better than they were last year. You know, and their, their, their season comes down to whether or not they got it right at quarterback. Washington's better than they were at the end of last year, but their season comes down to whether or not they got a lot better at quarterback. Right. Um, a lot Giants, better. They definitely got better, but a lot better is the They key. got better. Right. Yeah, but to, to make but how jump much to better? 10 plus, you know, it's got to be much better, which, right, by the way, I think, you know, there's a chance it could be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, has he talked himself into it? Maybe, but I don't think it was necessary. I guess my point is, I didn't think it was necessary that he build expectations. It would have been better to kind of do what they've done here in the off season and let the actions dictate the conversation rather than sort of inflating the conversation with their own words, because that now, now we know they feel like they're going to be a good team next year. Right. Whereas coming off seven and 10 with a defense that was horrible, there were fewer expectations uh, when the season ended, you know, against the giants in early January than there were the year before when they had gone toe to toe with Tampa in a playoff game. But right. now there are more expectations than there were a year ago. Um, now maybe that would have been the case with the trade for Carson Wentz anyway, but yeah, uh, they talked themselves into certainly, um, you know, self-imposed pressure on this third, you know, all important third year of this five-year deal. So I want to look at the, and you brought up the, the skill talent around Wentz and Mike Tannenbaum. Not, this is one person's opinion, but for there's a newsletter called The 33rd Team written by a lot of ex-GMs, coaches, front office people. Mike Tannenbaum used to be a GM, now works for ESPN, rated him by tiers, each group by tiers. So tier one is like the Bengals, the Raiders, the Dolphins. Um, tier two, the Eagles are on tier two. And then you get for, the, for Washington – but Dallas, tier three. Washington is tier four. Giants are pulling up the rear in tier seven. Do you think like, because so he, so in other words, it's, so the tier four level, the description is teams that have an average group of playmakers need to add both talent and depth at their skill positions. Do you, because I think they're going to be a little. Is this I think all playmakers, John? Is this playmakers, all playmakers? Just playmakers. 
No court that does not include quarterback. So like the Packers are also tier four, but they also have a tier one quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. He, they listed Carson Wentz as a tier six guy, a guy you can win with, but needs a lot around him. So, but I'm curious, like if, you know, are we overstating where this group could be, or do you think that other people might be undervaluing what this group could be? Well, um, you know, some of it has to do with whether or not Curtis Samuel comes back healthy. And if Jahan Dotson was the right selection, those are, right. you know, going to be for all intents and, and purposes two newcomers to the offense next year, you know, because Curtis Samuel didn't play. Right. Uh, I like their, I don't think they, I think they actually have some depth, certainly at wide receiver. They believe in Deami Brown. You know that. Right. Um, and he, yeah, Deami right Brown wasn't even listed. Diami was not listed among the group, which yeah. is why, like, so sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt, but it is a cure. I was just, sure. it's an outside perspective. And so that's why I wanted to, to ask about it. I mean, I, I did something a few weeks ago where I looked at their supporting cast, taking the quarterback out of the equation. And I thought it was right there with Philadelphia's in the NFCs because Dallas has taken a step back losing, right. you know, Amari Cooper and C and, and, and uh, Cedric Wilson. Um, and Philadelphia took a big jump forward, obviously, with the trade for A.J. Brown. You know, you, they're, they're teaming Brown, Devontae Smith, Goddard, who's the best tight end in the right, division, right. really good running backs and an excellent offensive line. Right. You know, Washington's offensive line might be a bit of a question mark, but it may be their best coached unit on the oh, team. Definitely. Their, their offensive line coaches, and Matsko, is, is, is impressive. But I like their – I mean, Terry McLaurin's a top half of the league, you know, maybe even a little bit better, number one receiver. Curtis Samuel's a dynamic weapon. I'm a big Dotson fan. We I like Dotson debate whether or not he should have been taken at 16. I loved him a lot. You're a Big Ten guy. Yeah, I, am I like too. Dotson. We watched a lot of Jahan Dotson. Um, I, I think Logan Thomas is actually – really important because I think there were signs last year with without a quarterback and the year before that this guy could become truly a top you know five-ish kind of you know pass catching tight end size quarterback skills all of that stuff um, but you know we'll see what his injury uh, produces but I you know I thought Gibson took a step forward last year I know the PFF numbers say he missed a lot of yardage on zone runs I personally thought he got better with his vision so last year. So and then you've got McKissick, who was, you know, arguably their second best weapon on the team last year before he got hurt. So tier four, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the teams, you know, look, that Devontae Adams added to what, you know, the Raiders had. Tariq Hill added to what, you know, the Waddle and some of the guys the Dolphins had. Um, the Eagles certainly have a lot of weapons offensively. Uh, you know, th there are teams that have more, but tier three indicates how many teams or tier four, how many teams are rated in front of them. Right. There would be, let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16 teams, 17 teams ahead of them. I'm not sure. Yeah, that I mean, I, I, think that. I think they're better than that. I think their yeah. their supporting cast, taking the quarterback out of the equation on offense, is probably better than that. Yeah, and there, yeah, and so and, I, and I'd agree with that. I think so much of it depends on Deami Brown's development. 
And I personally look at Diami in this offense as a big play guy. He's not going to be a 50 catch guy. I don't think that's what you're going to get out of him. I think Dotson will be that guy. I think he'll be a big help from, I mean, I really like Dotson. The more I think people see him, the more I think they're going to like him. And I think Samuel, we know what he can do when healthy. We saw it. Now, how they use him here, if they use him the same way, how whatever, but even with this group coaching him in Carolina, he was productive his their last year together. So, you know, I do think that he's going to be a big help. And I, I'm not going to sleep on a Cam Sims for depth, you know, and JD is a big help out of the backfield. And I think the other factor is Brian Robinson as well. So I think there's a lot of depth there that, but I'm with you. Like I thought Gibson developed well at the end of the season. With the vision, I felt like that Giants game, and I've talked a lot about this, I felt like that showed a lot of his patience and vision in that game. And I know the Giants had probably – and they'd everybody had given up at that point. Sure. But it's still the traits that yeah. he showed to me were better, were more important than the yards he gained necessarily. Like he was running like yeah. they wanted him to run. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're just looking for true guys that can make plays on an NFL field, Curtis Samuel's done it. Terry McLaurin's done it. J.D. McKissick's done it. And now you're going to add Dotson. If we even exclude Deami Brown and Gibson and Brian Robinson and Logan Thomas from the conversation, there's a lot to work with there. You know, is it elite? Is it Tariq Hill? No. Is it Travis Kelsey at tight end? No. But, you know, is it Devontae? Do they have Devontae Adams? Or, you know, do they have Stefan Diggs on this team? They don't. But the the the, the Adding all of those pieces together, they I think they could be a difficult-to-cover team. I think there's more depth across the board. So if you go into a four-receiver set, for example, you can threaten with guys that you couldn't have done last year. You know, sure. just lining up in a four-receiver set doesn't threaten you, but lining up with four guys who can hurt you, it does threaten you. And so I think they can yeah. – I think there's a little bit more ability to be versatile offensively because of what, because there's more depth of talent. Now, again, whether it's high end, but there's still quality depth across the board. And again, I'm, I do like Dotson. And the more I see him, the more I hear about yeah, I him. I like him a lot. Yeah. The more I hear about him too, from early reports, again, early reports, it's, it's early June. So take it for what it's worth. Um, I remember a guy years ago under North Turner, Norman Miller, a running back who always looked good in the spring, and he never made the team. So you always have to keep that in mind. But Dotson is not Norman Miller. He's a first-round pick who has looked good early on in practice. Um, last thing, that John, I have to tell you, I don't even remember Norman Miller. There you shouldn't. I just always remember because he would be mentioned by the coaches in the spring, like, oh, uh-huh. Norman's looking really good. And then you get to the <laughs> summer, it's like he's a forgotten guy. So that's why it's, right. it's funny even because when Anthony Armstrong came along – you know, you see like, oh, he's tearing up in the spring and you're kind of like, okay, okay. But then he continued it in the summer. And that's when you're like, oh, okay. So you you have to take things with a grain of salt because you've seen it before. But when a guy then takes it over to early parts of training camp, then it's like, now I think this guy's legit. You know, like they raved about Alfred Morris in the spring. And then you saw it in the summertime, some of the traits right away. So you figured this guy was going to be all right. You know, the, the most recent example of that was McLaurin. Because mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you, you, we were all hearing, they love this guy. Remember yeah. when they drafted him, and you knew Terry McLaurin because you're yeah. an Ohio State guy. 
but they were like, this guy's going to be a phenomenal special teams player. Right. 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 And there wasn't much discussion about him as a receiver. And then all of a sudden you were hearing things and then he really didn't play or show much in preseason. And then in the opener at Philadelphia with Case Keenum at quarterback, he blew up and it was like, you know, and, and Jay, Jay had this look like, yeah, we knew what we had in Terry. <laughs> Which you know? they never did. I also think about Jay with, like, running backs. Like, remember one offseason he was raving about Mac Brown? Was oh, it Mac yes. Brown? It was. It, it may have been Mac Brown or another running it back. It was Mac Brown. Never, yeah, and then you never saw him, really. Correct. Um, but, uh, yeah, they That was always the James Brown. Thrash effect, too. That was always the James Thrash effect. Like, every year yeah. you hear from Gibbs. Well, Gibbs like, loved it. We're going to get James the ball more, and every year at the end of the year. Gibbs loved like, him. Yeah. yeah, but they never, yeah. but they never got him the ball more. No, it was no. always the same. Do you know, um, do you know that Cooley and Clinton have both told me on separate occasions that James Thrash was among the most respected teammates they ever played with. Oh, I believe and it, and the most reliable of <clears throat> teammates that they ever played with. I absolutely believe it because he, there was nobody more consistent or more willing to do whatever he needed to do to win. Right. And so, yeah. and he, he did not complain. He just went out there and worked his butt off. But listen, I remember covering him his first camp and talking to him about his story after he starts to make some noise in his first camp and as a, as a returner, you know, and that like, to me, that's yeah. always the fun part of this job is seeing guys who come out of nowhere to do something, whether it's a James Thrash or an Armstrong or like Lorenzo Alexander. You know, he did that. Like, if you remember, he had that game right. in the preseason where his helmet comes off, he still goes and makes a tackle. And it's like, oh, my yeah. gosh, you know, and next thing you know, they're making some noise. But those are the fun stories to to um, to cover. And so, you know, with this group, I'll be curious to see if like a guy like Cole Turner makes some noise um, as, you know, the fifth round pick. But um, last thing, then, with with the defense. How confident are you in what Chase Young and Sweat can do this year after what we saw and really in a year and a half with those two together now? Well, I'm not super confident. I mean, I'm hopeful. Like, they're both extremely talented players. And I thought, you know, I think in Chase Young's rookie of the year, I think, you know, Montez Sweat was almost underrated. I mean, he had some big moments. You know, the game at Pittsburgh on that Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon, whenever whenever it was. and he just had some big moments and he's extraordinarily talented in the long and, you know, a real havoc wreaker. Look, they need both of them to have, you know, the kind of careers, you know, starting with this season that, that, you know, people projected after seeing them early in their career, not that Chase and Montez still aren't early in their careers, but they got to have big years. And, you know, Chase Young's coming off an injury that I guess was more complicated right. than maybe we thought, um, you know, based on the information, from yesterday so uh they've got to have big years i'm not super confident i'm confident in the talent though i mean i was a big you know chase young let's lose to the giants so we don't lose out on this generational defensive you know talent guy um when they had a chance to get the number two pick which they got and i was glad that they picked him and i thought you know he more than backed up everything that rookie year even though they were playing against a lot of you know, backup quarterbacks and bad offensive teams. But, you know, you can't spin it any other way other than last year was a major disappointment pre-injury. Like, they're, yes. you know, going back to the offseason and then the actual production. So it does make you hesitate a little bit, especially with him coming off 
a major injury. But they've got the talent, and if they're going to be good defensively, then both of those players are going to have to be really good players. And I think with Chase, the big key, and the one thing that, I, that I'm encouraged by, I guess I would say, or if you look want the silver, the, the silver lining, the positive look, is that last year, part of the reason why he struggled is because he kind of changed up his approach as a pass rusher. And there were a lot of the things going on. We saw that D-line was not working together at all. But I think also some of it was he right. decided to do something. He tried to be something he wasn't as a pass rusher. He needs to, you know, when you, look, you watch his rushes at the end of his rookie year compared to last year in the first half, they're different. You know, he was doing a lot more stutter stepping early on, you know, through a lot of those games last year. And as soon as he'd stutter step, man, he was done. And you could see the difference. And so, like, to me, if, if he gets back to that, then I think he's got a chance to continue on that path he was initially on. But, you know, you've got to get back to that. Um, then, okay, speaking – go go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just I, – I agree with you. I think, you know, the other part of it is there was clearly frustration with him among the defensive coaches. And not just him, but him. Uh, in particular, in terms of, you know, playing the scheme, you know, adhering to their responsibilities, doing your job, being mature, being disciplined. And we heard that over and over again, and we know who they were talking about. Um, And, you know, I've made the case before that, you know, maybe Chase Young isn't a do-your-job kind of player. And if that's the truth, I mean, LT wasn't a do-your-job kind of player. Parcells and Belichick both have te- you know, told the stories about how, yeah, on that particular play, he totally abdicated his responsibility based on the play call. But it worked out. You know, he sacked Jaworski, created a fumble, and he scored a touchdown. Um, it, maybe Chase Young is one of those players you have to just turn loose on occasion and not worry about, you know, gap, scheme, sound, fundamental football. Uh, but that's for them to figure out. Well, along those lines, I remember talking to Daryl Green one time, um, just we're just talking casually at a high school football game of all places. But he's talking about that with Wilbur Marshall. He said with that group, like they knew Wilbur was going to freelance, but they knew it. So they knew how to play off of it. And so you could see, okay, if he's going in here, oh, I'm going to cover out here. So they knew how to play off of him. But that was also a function of playing together and knowing the guys around you versus not playing, not having spent a lot of time with somebody and then not knowing what, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this. And you have inexperienced linebackers or guys behind them. Like a guy like Landon Collins could play off somebody because he, he's smart. He, you know, he's been experienced. But if you have Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis who are trying to just figure it out, they're not going to be able to play off anybody. They're just trying to do their right. job. Like, wait a minute. So I wonder if that's part of it. Last thing then, Kevin, too, um, your confidence that Terry McLaurin will get a contract. I am. I mean, I think it would be silly if they don't figure it out with them. You know, and it's also true that a guy like Terry McLaurin is a third round pick who hasn't made any real money yet, you know, relative to an NFL, uh, you know, compensation. Um, Does he really want to play a fourth year on, you know, two point six million or whatever it is? Uh, as the third rounder, uh, you know, in his fourth year of his uh, of his rookie deal, um, and risk, you know, an injury that could keep him from that first big contract. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, what if he doesn't want to sign here?" And I guess what I'm getting at is, a third rounder, if he ends up overperforming, 
which Terry McLaurin has done, takes a lot of risk on playing a fourth year on such little money comparatively to go for the big home run, which by the way, would be a franchise tag more likely than not next year. If he doesn't sign a long-term deal, like there's incentive for him to sign a long-term deal to get that generational money, which, you know, let's call it four years, 96 million, you know, 24 million a year or whatever it would be with 50 or 60 of it guaranteed whatever the, the deal would look like, um, you know, like Duran Payne's fifth year option is well over $8 million. You know, that's a big difference from being right. a first round pick and a third round pick. There's more incentive for the third round pick to get the deal done. If he's in position to do it before the final year of his deal with the team that drafted him. So I think it's going to happen. Do you? Yes, I do. I, th- I still put it around an eight, my confidence level, leaving that two, that two digit, wiggle room because you never know but i do i do think it'll get done i think like you said the the security for a guy who hasn't made the massive amount of money yet is 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 a big deal um but also i think the this side recognizes they can't lose him his value to them is is pretty high and i also think his value question for you go ahead my question for you because this is usually the way we do this i'm asking you questions Although really, we don't really ask each other questions more often than not. But if it if the two out of ten comes through and it doesn't get signed, what would be the cause of that? Terry didn't want to sign a deal, or the team just decided he wasn't worth what he was asking for. I think it would be more of that. I think it would be that they disagreed on the comp player, whoever they comp him to, and that they would just disagree on the the overall value with that. Like, does he see himself more as an AJ Brown? Or does he see him or do they see him as DJ Moore? Can you get somewhere in that middle? And if he's not, if he doesn't want to be in that middle, if he just says, listen, I'm AJ Brown and there you go, it's either 25 mil or nothing. I think that's where you would run into trouble. So yeah, I think the team would be short-sighted, you know, pennywise pound foolish if they don't get a deal done with him because of a couple of million dollars a year. Because I think they it's know not that. just that he's a really good player, it's that that we know what Ron's been trying to do, you know, he's had his challenges in doing this with everything else that's going on in the organization, but he's been trying to change the culture. And Terry McLaurin is the kind of guy you change the culture. He's a culture changer. Um, Yep. Yeah. I think they know, I think they know that that's why I think it will get done. Um, But I think if it doesn't get done, it'll be probably more so because of that. So we'll see, but they've got to get it done because you're going to need, there's been such a drumbeat of, bad news or negative news for this team with the stadium stuff with the, you know, get the hearings coming up later this month, et cetera, that they need a win for this franchise. And the win this summer would be Terry McLaurin. So, you know, then we'll start to hear too, like they're going to retire this guy's Jersey, this guy's Jersey, this guy's Jersey. I think there's going to be a lot of that stuff coming up this season. So yeah, (laughs) just get ready. I think that'll happen. Maybe they'll give people more than 48 hours notice. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I think we might see the next five years worth of Jersey retirements pretty soon, <laughs> just because they're going to say like, see, it's not about this. So there you go. So Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, John. Thanks for having me as always. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Kevin for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back Monday with another episode. I'll talk to you next time.